0: welcome back to the Ed Morrissey show today's Tuesday uh what is it January 10th 2023 um uh, so I'm 10 days into the new year I'm already confused that's the reason why we have the Prince of Twitter <laughs> the regent of redstate.com Andrew Malcolm with us at aH Malcolm on the Twitter's uh and uh, redstate.com is where he posts his VIP content um several times a week. Actually, pretty much every day these days, right, Andrew? Uh, frequently, yeah,
1: yeah. Wow. Well, so That's, it's uh, the, keep working you know, keeps, keeps my mind going, Ed. Well, then you're you're one ahead of me. <laughs> 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 yeah, you're
0: you're out in front of me on that one there. So I I don't know what to tell you, but uh, Andrew, I mean. It, there's i mean you've got a column up today you've got your malcolm on the right we want to talk about we got to talk about what happened (laughs) what happened last week in the in the house of representatives because that's interesting but the very first thing we got to talk about is this um tweet from uh yesterday this would be sunday in joe biden's uh visit to the border joe biden finally visited the border and apparently joe biden's breathing suit finally visited the
1: (laughs) I, you know, it is so weird. It's on my timeline and uh, uh, he's he's visiting a, a center to, I don't know, do something for the illegal immigrants. He's talking with a woman pretending to care and he's standing still. And the back of his suit is is moving in and out like he's breathing. It's the weirdest thing. I didn't see this. Somebody else did. And I watched it several times I thought, well this is this is weird. A lot of people seem to agree it's it's uh there's no explanation for it. I mean he doesn't have a breathing tube in uh i, I, I you could think it might be some kind of a drug pump uh if it was a lightweight Kevlar vest it it shouldn't be breathing. <laughs> oh, I, have a, I, have a, I have a
0: solution to this. I, I, have a, a, I have a, I don't know if it's a solution, but but I have one possibility is that maybe he just wears cheap suits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe it just doesn't fit very well. And every time he moves, it bunches up and back. Yeah, having, I I've owned it, a number I,
1: of cheap suits in my lifetime. I could tell you I figure that. But so. if you watch his shoulders, they're not moving.
0: Yeah, they're not but moving. But the
1: back of his jacket is. And it's uh, weird. What can I say? Um, You know, I wrote a few months ago, I wrote about this thing on the side of his neck. It looks like a terrible growth. He's never explained what that is. I said, what the heck is that on Joe Biden's neck? Uh, And now we got this. Um, Yeah, yeah, well. Don't don't um, question don't question his health, Andrew. It's a, you know you can't question anything these days. No, no, that's that's uh, that's true. Uh, and and you know he says you you had your column, you had your well, it wasn't a column, but you had a post today about how he's going <laughs> he's going to move to the middle for twenty twenty four. Yeah, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah, it's Joe, crazy. Joe, that's the God's truth. Biden is going to change his tune. Yeah, that
0: and five bucks will get you a cafe latte over it. So, well, more like seven bucks these days at Starbucks. Yeah, you know, this idea that Joe Biden is suddenly going to rediscover his centrist uh, inclinations is absurd. This is a guy who I don't think he's ever really been a centrist anyway. He's just been very good at telling people what they want to hear. Um, But I think his natural inclination is to be a big government interventionist. And he spent the last two years doing that, even though. He knew that he didn't have the math in the Senate to pull it off. I I, I don't buy for a second that this guy's gonna that this guy is going to be smart enough to
1: triangulate back to the center. You know, Bill Clinton did pull that off, and Well, he did. He did but he the- was—I mean, he actually did, and he went along with some things and yep. and negotiated. And he didn't call um, uh, Newt Gingrich the devil. I mean, he's just yeah, he was he was a paul he was a snaky paul and and it worked uh i guess you know you have to expect that but uh oh gee obama and biden are just a they're cut from another bad suit yep yep uh yeah yeah <laughs> it's a whole bunch of bad
0: suits going on but um yeah, I, I don't buy for a second that uh, that Joe Biden is going to tack to the center over the next two years. I, if for no other reason, I don't think that the Senate Democrats are going to allow him to do it, and I'm really sure that the House progressives aren't going to let him do it. They they're looking for a they're they're spoiling for a fight. Both sides benefit from a fight. Neither, unfortunately, and I'm I'm not saying that this is good, but I'm telling you that right now, Hakeem Jeffries is not a centrist. He doesn't benefit from a centrist agenda. I didn't delve this, this deeply into it in my post, but the progressives make up, what is it about 60% the, the house progressive caucus? Well, maybe not 60%, but there's what 95 members, or at least there was, there were prior to um, the midterm election. So it's still a significant part of that caucus. That caucus is 213 members if you get 90 or so of those who are in the progressive caucus, well, you know, that's that caucus is going to get a lot more vehemently activist um, as they see uh, the possibilities of uh, Republicans combining up with some of their moderates to pass legislation. They're going to try to block it. So and besides which Biden wants to be FDR and LBJ wrapped up in one, he still yeah, wants good to. luck. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, if he had 60 members of the Senate, he wasn't going to pass some of this stuff. And with the Republican House, it's not going to happen at all. They're going to they're going to it's going to be it's going to be trench warfare in the beltway.
2: Speaking, you know.
1: speaking of which, Andrew, yeah.
0: how long do you stay up on Friday night to see the trench warfare going going on? <laughs> no, not
1: beltway? very late. Not very late. I, I, I figured it, I didn't know it was 15, but I figured it would be going on a while. And, you, but, going on all I mean, <laughs> and that's and 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 that's what struck me for for my column was on display majorly out of Washington because the media thinks they're important in Washington, therefore anything that happens there is more important. But there's there were two Republican parties on display, and that was the theme of my uh, of, of my Sunday column, and the other one. Was in Tallahassee, where uh, Ron DeSantis uh, had his inaugural speech, which I found to be quite effective. Um, delivered better than he has been delivering speeches. I thought he's obviously practiced that one, um, and with a with a list of accomplishments and a list of goals, and he wasn't talking. I don't think he said a word about 2020. So. Uh, he wasn't attacking anybody. He was talking about what Florida is. And I love the line, uh, Florida is where woke goes to die. Uh, yeah. And uh, uh, so, you know, he, it was a great opportunity for him. He didn't get all that much publicity nationally. Uh, so I thought I would write about it. Uh, and um, it was kind of a uh, a rough blueprint for what his campaign theme would be, should he go ahead? I think he will, but there's no guarantee.
0: Right, right. I think he's definitely going to go ahead. I mean, he's got nearly 100, well, at least at the end of the cycle, he had nearly $100 million in the bank. He won Florida by 19 points. He flipped Miami-Dade. I mean, there's no other time to 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 jump into this race. I think it's an absolute certainty that DeSantis is going to run for the nomination in this cycle. Yeah. And And look, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a good comparison. However, I will say this. I think what you saw all last week was basically legislating in the, in the manner that, you know, a, a, a legislature is supposed to do it where yeah. you people who are actually fighting issues out in public <laughs> as embarrassing as it might've been at times. And, and as close to literal fighting as it actually got, because I was actually awake, for the 14th ballot on Friday. Right. Cause I, well, they're going to come back at 10 o'clock. That's nine o'clock my time. I'm going to, I'll watch, I'll be watching TV with my wife, but I'll have it open on my laptop. Right. I do C-SPAN on the laptop. And I'm watching this thing. <laughs> and then immediately afterwards, I see this whole scene unfolding with Matt Gates and, you know, Mike Rogers had to be re- physically restrained at, at one point. And, Uh, it was clear that he and uh, Kevin McCarthy were barking at each other over something because McCarthy kept turning around and going back and they're pointing fingers at each other. And then, you know, they, they moved to adjourn and then all of a sudden somebody, I don't know who it was, but somebody leaned in (laughs) and you didn't see their face from the camera, but somebody leaned way in and was saying something to Matt Gates and whatever, whatever was said to Matt (laughs) Gates. And I still don't know exactly what it was. Suddenly his mind was changed and he didn't want to adjourn after all. Um, And they, I mean, I was asleep by that
1: point time. I was like, yeah, that's yeah." read about it tomorrow. Yeah. Well, you're right. You're right about, leg- there is a legislative mind and there's an executive mind right, and right. some legislators can switch. Now, DeSantis, he was in the house. I uh, He was, you know, for he didn't term. have, he didn't have all that much impact. I don't, I don't recall. Um And not a lot of House members, Abraham Lincoln aside, not a lot of House members have gone on, certainly not directly to uh, the White House.
0: All right. So Uh, I got to stop you right there, Andrew. You know, you know who was the last one to do this? Because I think um, I think John Quincy Adams may have been the first one to do this. I know he went back to the House after he was president. But do you know who the last person was to to go directly from that? House of Representatives to the presidency? No. Ah. We were at his we were at his inauguration. You and I were at his inauguration. James Garfield In for oh. pretty much his whole presidency. No, I'm I'm joking. This is 1881, right? Um yeah. James Garfield got assassinated later that year. So um uh, he didn't yeah. last long, unfortunately, but yeah. James So Garfield.
1: don't don't go from the house to the presidency. Yeah, that's and that's, that's the lesson. Well, but it, my my one of my points in the column was. Democrats uh, instinctively turned to Congress for their candidates, I think, with uh, one or two exceptions since the Depression, all of their vice presidential candidates have been from Congress and yep. many, many of their presidential candidates, uh, both in, in 2004, both of them, uh, Edwards and um, and uh, what's his name? Kerry were uh, were from the Senate. It's it, Republicans, not always, but Republicans tend to go for governors and um, or executives. Uh, I mean, even Wendell Wilkie back in 1940, he ran a huge power company uh, and he was the he didn't he didn't win, obviously. Um, and uh, George H. W. Bush, he had so many executive jobs. Um, he wasn't the governor, but his son was. Um, so uh, it would make a lot of sense, traditionally or historically, for Republicans to find a governor. Uh, this time, they they seem to like those guys.
0: Well, it, it does make sense. I mean, their, their last pick was somebody who was an executive in the private sector, right? Uh, and now, yeah. I would argue maybe the wrong model of executive in the private sector. They picked somebody who ran a family business rather than, say, a large corporation with lots of different competing interests where you're basically dealing with shareholders and other stakeholders and, uh, you know, that that type of thing. But they have been generally focused on people who had achieved something in executive terms. I mean, McCain may have been the one exception, right? I mean, you, you'll go back and take a look at this. Mitt Romney, you know, Donald Trump, we've already got, done, we already covered Donald Trump. Mitt Romney was, you know, a, a, a was the CEO of Bain and, um, you know, did all sorts of different things as an executive. McCain being an exception came out of, you know- Yeah, but
1: McCain, McCain was the heir apparent. Right. He lost. Yes. He lost to George W. So it was his turn by 2008.
0: Right. So George W. was was a governor. Um, and Ronald then
1: Re- Ronald Reagan.
0: Ronald Reagan was a governor. But I mean, Bob Dole wasn't. So, I mean, there, that was a mistake. I don't want to say it was a
1: mistake. And that didn't work. That didn't
2: work. It didn't
0: work. <laughs> um, But, you know, George Bush was vice president it was one of the rare occasions of a vice president winning election it, um, succeeding his um, his former running mate um, without there being uh, a transition due to death or resignation.
1: And you and, could argue you could argue that 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 was basically a third Reagan term. Oh, definitely was a third Reagan term. There's no doubt about it, it was a third Reagan term.
0: Um, but um, then you got to go back to Nixon. Nixon wasn't an executive. Well, I, I take the back. Nixon was vice president for eight years. So yeah, I mean, Republicans, I think, really do favor the executive model, and I think it works. And you know, Democrats have been successful with it. Bill Clinton, for all of the different uh, Eisenhower, Eisenhower, Eisenhower was a, you know, was the uh, commanding (laughs) supreme commander. Yeah, that's pretty executive. That's that's super executive. That's really, really, really executive. But, you know, Democrats have followed that model from time to time too. Um, I mean, FDR was secretary of the Navy, which is a executive branch job at least, um, prior to being um prior to being president and was a you know businessman as well. Um and so I think that it's I mean, I just for myself, I prefer the executive model for an executive uh for an executive um office. And DeSantis if you're going to do something like that, if you're going to go from legislator to executive, it's better to do it at the state level and to prove your, your worth. And look, I mean, yeah. DeSantis, four years ago, got elected on one of the thinnest margins in the country, right? I think it was like 0.18% or something like that over Andrew Gillum, who then completely self-destructed, right? Gillum completely self-destructed is under investigation for corruption anyway. Um, and from that, Four years later, just four years later, he defeats a former governor of Florida by 19 points and carries Miami-Dade. I mean, when you're looking at that, and you you see that, and in, and in, in you're comparing the two things, the you know what happened in the House of Representatives over the last week or so, and uh, Ron DeSantis's um, presentation, it's not difficult to figure out which ones Republicans really want to highlight.
1: Yeah, <laughs> January, yeah. right? yeah exactly it's um well it's 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 interesting what the collective party proclivities are and uh like you i prefer i prefer the executive uh the executive level
0: yes yes so that's one of your we don't want to give away the store here you go over there you sign up for vip you read what andrew has to say better yet sign up for vip gold so you can do vip on all of our sites um (laughs) Then you go to Malcolm on the right. Uh, Florida's governor uh, Ron DeSantis takes the stage and sets another stage, and it's sort of a continuation of what you're talking about here, right?
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, that one was uh, basically looking at the uh, the contents of the speech alone, not the bigger political picture. Right. Uh, and I've i found the speech uh, a lot of people didn't because. They don't want that narrative, but I found the speech to be impressive. He had he had ringing phrases in there, um, and things that could be campaign themes uh, and uh, declarations of firm intent, decisiveness, um, which is not what we saw in the house fight. Uh, So um, I think a lot of people will find that uh compelling you know it's so early you can't you can't be making any predictions but he certainly at the moment seems to be the prime challenger for uh a donald trump if donald trump stays in the race
0: yeah you know and i think that there are going to be other people jumping in the race i mean there was a- oh there
1: will be and well and mike pence for instance he was in the house then he decided to because he wanted to get more politics he went become governor of Indiana for two terms, um, right. and Nikki Haley was a successful governor for two terms. Mike after Pompeo being, being in Congress, yeah, yeah, Mike Pompeo, and you know you could argue that being an ambassador is an executive level job. Absolutely. She was, she was in Trump's cabinet, um, and um no, no, I would I would say ambassadors, yeah. So
0: that's, you know you're talking about uh, John Bolton was the buzz over the weekend because supposedly he told um A British newspaper that he was running for president, and that Bolton, you know, so they reported it that way. And Bolton said it's not what I said. And if I was going to announce my candidacy, I'd be smarter. I'd be smart enough <laughs> to do it in England. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, it makes yeah, no sense. I, yeah, it, he was talking about it in in terms of a hypothetical. If I was going to run for president, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we are used to that here in the United States, because we know about the, you know, the, the, the laws that kick into place once you've made an official declaration of a candidacy, all of a sudden, there's all sorts of rules and regulations that you have to comply with. Um, So I think the American press is a little bit more cognizant of those, those sorts of um, caveats, if you will, uh, than our, than our friends across the pond are. Uh, I want to talk to you, though, before we get uh before before we run out of time here, I want to talk to you about a media story, because you've you've spent over 50 years in the media, which is amazing because you're only 37,
1: 39.
0: Yeah, right. 39 thought... years old. That's right. 39 years old. I'm and sorry. I don't look a day over 38. There you go. I agree. <laughs>
1: Wait a minute. Let me take a look at these glasses here. Let me just. Yeah. Look. Yeah. Right. I think you need to the cleaner. Um, All right. So um... it reminds me when I was a little boy, I've been wearing glasses for many, many years since I was in grade school and uh, yeah. And um, I wanted to, when they told me I might have to, I, I just thought that was, that would be the most exciting thing. So I can't complain and I'm not complaining, but I would wear glasses and every once in a while, my mother would say, let me, let me see those glasses. And she would take them and hold them up to the light and go, Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't pay any attention to it. Right. So she would clean the glasses and and I would put them on and go, What is daytime? It was, it was, uh... (laughs) yeah. Anyway. All right.
0: So the Washington Post today broke a big news story about a new study. That determined that, and I know you're going to have to, yeah, I'm glad you're sitting down. Yeah. It might stun you. But it turns out that memes with Hillary Clinton arm wrestling Jesus actually didn't convince any voters to change their votes in 2016. <laughs> no kidding. I I mean, I, I mean, I'm laughing about this. <laughs> Yeah, the the study was about the the Russian disinformation campaign right and it's been estimated they spent somewhere between 100,000 dollars 200,000 dollars during a campaign in which the combined total of both campaigns spending was over 2 billion dollars right so we're talking about an order of several orders of magnitude larger and we have there has been an assumption in the media and in government that just the existence of these things correlating with a presidential election means that it influenced the election. And I have been saying since the first time this came up, literally the first post I wrote about this, I raised the question, where is there any evidence that these memes on Facebook changed anybody's mind about who they were going to vote for, or even if they were going to vote, where is any evidence that shows that? And today, Six years later or so, six plus years later, the Washington Post gets around to reporting that, oh, yeah, nobody ever actually had any evidence that this did no,
2: no. in the
1: election. Yeah, it was just uh, conventional wisdom, right? It's I think I, I think her gaffe about deplorable Americans. I think that that was much more powerful
0: yeah, I mean, the gaff about deplorable Americans, I think, was probably what lost her the election. I also think the fact that she didn't show up to campaign in Wisconsin and Michigan had a lot to do with it. Yeah. She showed up I think once or twice in Michigan, she never showed up in Wisconsin. They dispatched Barack Obama at the last minute to Michigan because the unions that were screaming for weeks were losing <laughs> and And they lost and. They lost in Michigan. They lost in Wisconsin. They lost in Pennsylvania where, you know, to give her credit, she was actually campaigning somewhat significantly in Pennsylvania. Um, but I mean, all of this nonsense over the last six plus years, all of the, you know, the disinformation, you know, hysteria can be traced yeah. back to these, to, to a, an assumption that, that the media never bothered to fact check, yeah. which is, that the presence of the, of these stupid memes, Hillary Clinton arm wrestling, Jesus. (laughs) I mean, that was actually one of the, that was actually one of the memes, right? Hillary Clinton's arm wrestling Jesus. And, and, uh, and that's why you should vote for, you know, Donald Trump, whatever it was, none of that made any, none of that that convinced anybody
1: to vote one way or the other. Why? Because it's nonsense. And that feeds the, the disbelief in media and the lack of the, the, the continuing decay of credibility, uh, in the media, because they buy these things and they, and they pass them on.
0: Yeah. You know, Joseph Bernstein wrote a book about this a couple of years ago, uh, talking about the basically big disinfo and the fact that all of this disinformation hysteria. And again, you gotta put that in, in scare quotes because disinformation, this is, it's just nonsense. Um, But it basically is turned into an industrial complex because it serves the purposes of government functionaries. It serves the purposes of media outlets that want to um, that want to be seen as the arbiters of truth. And it also serves the 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 interests of big tech. And Bernstein actually made a really good point was that at first, Mark Zuckerberg was a voice of reason on this. Yeah, because when he went to Congress, remember what he said? there's no way that this election got decided because the Russians spent a few hundred thousand dollars on memes. Nobody's, nobody's making their decisions based on Facebook memes, and he got all sorts of blowback from members of Congress. And then he changed his tune and Bernstein argues the reason why he changed his tune is because he realized that, 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 that narrative suits Facebook. It makes them look a lot more influential than they actually are. And what is, what does that do for you? It gets you more advertisers.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. The narrative that uh, I don't remember in my uh, long reporting career. Uh, narratives playing such a such an important role. Uh, you know, there was always Tricky Dick Nixon and uh, I don't know what else. Yeah, but, but, you know, I
0: think that, you know, s- you know, slogans and nicknames, I mean, I think those things tend to have a sort of an organic flow to them and you report on them because they're part of the organic flow. This is really something else. I mean, this is yeah. something that is just clearly defies all common sense and then basically punishing anybody who questions those assumptions. And we saw it a lot in COVID. You know, my my friend Adam Baldwin. Oh, yeah. About that in, in the amiable skeptic shows.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It it's um the conventional wisdom is um is dangerous and you have to be careful. It, it, the to my mind the internet is a wonderful thing, but if, what it did was and I've said this before here, it put more responsibility on news consumers to sort out yes what was credible and what was not. And I'm not sure that they've stepped up to the plate collectively as much as they should have. They just sort of take the one that sounds more compelling or that fits their narrative, and uh, and they run with it, as opposed to thinking, you know, I'm for him, but this is against his opponent. This is crap. Well, and
0: we know that because the Hillary Clinton arm wrestling Jesus thing was so convincing. <laughs> I mean, just, I mean, the thought of that is absurd on its face. It was absurd on its face. Six plus years ago when I was writing about it, you were writing about it at the time. I mean, it took six years for the Washington post to question that seriously.
1: Yeah. yeah. You can't explain it. They've lost a lot of subscribers, uh, in the last year or so half more than half a million, I think, Uh, uh, and, uh, online subscribers. And um, uh, the L.A. Times I see they well there the the Washington Post is offering I think it was a dollar a week for online all access digital, and the uh, the L.A. Times is offering a dollar for six months. So, yeah, uh, yeah, that that's it might be
0: overpriced at, the, at that rate. <laughs> all right, well we're almost out of time. You know what's you know what's priceless beyond measure. What's that, Ed? The the jokes of the week. I say that in anticipation because I'm not sure that you have any
1: this week. But no, I got I got some. They're all old, of course. Of course. Uh, um. So uh, this is, these are all obviously old. Jimmy Fallon said uh, this is some years back. I think it was 2015. Joe Biden says he will decide on a 2016 presidential campaign by the spring or the summer. Then he added, whichever comes first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then Conan O'Brien said that they just discovered a, uh, a rare 1860 envelope from the very first day of the Pony Express. And uh, it, uh, it was actually an invitation Uh, or an envelope containing an invitation to uh, Larry King's bar mitzvah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and finally Conan also said that, um, the highest paid reality stars are Kim Kardashian at 6 million and Jersey shores of the situation at 5 million. So kids let this be a lesson. Stay out of school. Stay out of school. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't in <put an> education. <laughs> Money is well, more important than education.
0: Oh, yeah, I guess so. These days, it certainly seems that way. Don't ask, don't ask, you know, pertinent questions. That's another thing. But isn't that something? We've already covered that. Yeah, we've already covered that topic. But uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be chewing on that one for a while. But you know who you need to be reading in the meantime is the Prince of Twitter at A.H. Malcolm. And uh, over the region of redstate.com, where he's got all of his uh, great commentary over there. It's exclusive to Red State because I wasn't fast enough to grab this guy. <laughs> up when I had the
2: chance.
1: You have a very productive uh, team uh, turning out lots of interesting stuff. Well, that's true. Uh, I got a great th- these team. days. Yeah, you really do. I um, get a great and, team. Uh, well, if people are listening to this, they're probably already reading it. But if they aren't, they should be. That's right. And uh, and just to let
0: everybody know, I've actually put David Strom on double rations this week. Um, because, <laughs> just because. Um, but I also have told them that I expect to go water skiing in the afternoon. Ah, that's an old joke, too. But I'll. All all right, Andrew, Malcolm, thanks so much for being with us. We'll talk to you again next week, sir. Okay,
1: doke. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. See you then.
0: Stay tuned for uh, more, actually, from The Ed Morrissey Show, coming up next. This is Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com for Town Hall. Did a Russian troll farm meme of Hillary Clinton arm-wrestling Jesus really cost her the 2016 election? After more than six years of unrelenting hysteria over disinformation, the Washington Post belatedly reported on a study that concluded what everyone should have known already. Data shows that Russian interference via supposed disinformation didn't impact voter choices at all. All of this irrational panic over a minor social media intrusion in a national campaign has done real damage to free speech. Congress demanded censorship from social media and tech giants, who saw this as an opportunity to interfere in American political processes for their own ends. All these warped incentives created a government-media-industrial-censorship complex that it plagues us to this day. They all failed to ask the basic question of whether memes change voter decisions at any scale, let alone enough to decide a national election. Shame on them all. I'm Ed Morrissey. Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey show. It is now my pleasure to introduce you to Jeff Wallach, who is not only a, uh, a voice on Wyoming's, uh, one of Wyoming's biggest radio stations. He's also a friend of ours, <laughs> Jeff Wallach, um, whose, uh, whose family has been connected to mine, um, uh, for, I don't know, decades, Jeff. <laughs> At least
2: maybe a century.
0: Could be a century. <laughs> Feels that way sometimes, especially first thing in the morning. I get up and oh, yeah, it's been a century or so since I felt good. Um, all right, so tell us a little bit, Jeff, about uh, about your radio station. First off, um, where are you at
2: in, in Wyoming and uh, and uh, what is it that you do there? Sure, well, thanks for having me, Ed. Uh, this is pretty exciting to be on your show. I'm in uh, Sheridan, Wyoming, which is northeast Wyoming, about uh. Two hours from Billings, Montana, and an hour and a half from Gillette and the South Dakota border. We are on a station called Kix 96.5, which is actually a country, uh, a Wyoming country station. But I pitched the show to have a conservative talk show, and they ate it up and they gave me uh, time on Saturday mornings to develop the show. And we have now for seven months, we have Reached 35 shows on a week, just a weekly show on Saturday. Kicks yeah. 96.5 is one of the largest stations in Wyoming, especially in the northeast. They have it's a it's a network called the Bighorn Mountain Radio Network, which is in Gillette, Cody, and in Sheridan, Buffalo area. And I was lucky enough to be invited to host a conservative talk show called Wyoming is Right, R I G H T. Uh, Conservative talk radio, and after seven months, we got an email accepting an uh, invitation to come on the show by President Trump.
0: Wow! See, now this is this is why we're going to talk here. Is is that is a big, huge deal? Look, I mean, I did um, a similar show in the Twin Cities for several years. In fact, a couple of my friends are still doing it there. Saturday, well, afternoon for us. It wasn't morning, but Saturday afternoon radio. We were given some time uh, to to launch a, you know, local state and national politics broadcast on what was already a a, a political, you know, a politics radio station. And it was a blast. We had a great time doing this. We did this for I, I was doing it for eight or nine years. And like I said, my colleagues in that endeavor are still doing it a decade later. So, I mean, it's been very successful there, too. So I know exactly. What it's like to 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 do something like that, I can tell you that we got a number of really cool guests on that, uh, including the governor at the time, Tim Plenty, But we never got him as a presidential candidate, and we never got a former president to come on the show. That is pretty remarkable for a uh, for a Saturday morning politics show on a even on a big
2: platform like uh, like Kix ninety five. Well, I was pretty surprised myself. Let me tell you. <laughs> But um, I'm excited as heck. I'm a big Trump supporter. My hat is Wyoming. I see Trump. that. Yeah. And uh, I've been I've been a supporter since 16, when I realized he was an actual conservative, and I am an actual conservative. So we jumped on board then. We've been with him ever since. He proved himself during his term. We were very disappointed that the Dems stole the election in, in 2020. I am a big believer that that happened and okay. we're going to support him in 24 26
0: 24 24 24 no you had, you're right 24 and uh, of course he was the first one out of the gate announcing that and um, so you know clearly I mean what uh what is it that you plan to uh, to ask him about when he gets on when he gets on the air with you I'm sure you know the the, the interesting thing about this how long is your show on Saturday afternoons
2: it's only for a half hour, which I'm hoping it will run over a little bit because he. I think so. he's only given us fifteen minutes, Ed, but I'm hoping he's going to give us a whole half hour or longer.
0: I, I, I'm going to tell you, you better, you better give a heads up to the station management because Donald Trump likes to talk, and once you get him on the air, he kind of likes to keep going, and it, I mean. I think the other thing you might want to alert them to is the fact that, you know, you know, those hard outs that, you know, at the top or the bottom of the hour you might want to tell your engineer to find out, find ways to possibly have to bypass those because, you know, he's, it, I mean, he, knows radio. Right. he knows television, he knows, he knows how that works, but you know, every once in a while, you gotta, you gotta bite the bullet and and shave off the advertisers uh, for, for a turn, just so you can make sure that your primo guest Gets his say, and Donald Trump likes to get a say. I think it's going to be very exciting for you. This is,
2: yeah, it is. And I, I've already warned him, and our uh, the producers and, and engineers are aware and ready, and all our supporters. I think they're even more excited than I am. So of course, I think we're going to have it all worked out in the morning. Uh, we'll be there early and ready for his call in to the show. The the uh, key here is. I'm a huge supporter, so I'll be asking him questions that are important to Wyoming as well as to the nation. I'm going to lead with voter integrity. How are we going to make sure that he takes office this time? He wins a popular vote. He wins the Electoral College this time in 24. We want to make sure he actually takes office and is sworn back into office. So that's number one. We're going to ask him, what kind of effort he is going to make to ensure a, a credible election. Two, we're going to talk about what's important to Wyoming as well, which is water, land, and jobs. And right now, Biden is trying to steal our water. Uh, they're misman- We believe they're mismanaging land, federal lands, for us that we need for oil drilling, for the nation, for energy. So that's going to be a big topic. And then we'll see how much time we get to get into free speech and the the tech uh, cancel, uh, cancellations of, of free speech and denying conservatives the right to speak on the air and and on various technical platforms, so we'll be talking about that too.
0: You know, I think it's a great topic, right? Because I mean, not only did that impact the twenty twenty election cycle, but we're we're really starting to see the scope of just how much that interference is. I was just talking on on, on with Andrew Malcolm on my regular. Um, one of my regular podcast guests, uh, co-host really. And, um, about the Washington post report came out today while we're recording this, we're recording it on a Monday and about how, you know, a recent study just showed that all of those, all of this hysteria about how, you know, Russian trolls, you know, uh, impacted an American election is just sheer nonsense. Absolutely. Which we should have, everybody should have understood that right from the beginning. I mean, the Russians put something, I think it was something like $100,000 or a few hundred thousand dollars into this, even if it was a couple of million dollars. <laughs> you know, the the combined campaigns, just the combined campaign, spent close to $2 billion <laughs> on that election using real advertising. I, I don't think that that is something that Hillary, a, a picture of Hillary Clinton arm wrestling Jesus is really going to compete with. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It was incredible. I mean, it, the it was a hoax, and they made it up. And I think we, there should be some prosecution of these devils, I call them, who actually lied about the election, lied about the Russian hoax, and had been doing it. I, I I agree with the president. It's been a witch hunt ever since, and we've got to put a stop to it.
0: Well, I mean, I think just the fact that you know you you have this sort of, um, and what I've described as a, you know, industrial, you know, government military, government media, industrial complex, um, Joseph Bernstein called it the big disinfo complex, um, that is now in place to, uh, censor social media, uh, debate to, to, um, censor individuals and groups, uh, block them from participating in online discussions based on, based on point of view, which is, I I don't think it's saying, I don't think it's going too far to call that un-American, right? That's just simply un-American trying to sense.
2: Yeah. It is un-American. And you know what? It's, it's terrible that Congress on the floor and elsewhere on, 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 on the media lie like chef. I mean, everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. Yeah. I think we've got to put a stop to this because they have an un, they have a license to to lie all day long. It's unbelievable. If you can't stop them, we got to find ways to go on the offensive finally and 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 prosecute these guys. We got to find some law that allows us to do that. And we're talking with Jeff Wallach. and Jeff, I
0: mean, uh, moving from Trump. By the way, before we move off of Trump, when is this um, uh, interview going to take place. And where can people, you know, if you're not in Wyoming, is it possible to access this? Or do you have a stream on the internet?
2: Yes, sir. Thank you for prompting me. The show will is going to be taped tomorrow, the 10th, Tuesday. It will okay. air on this Saturday, the 14th of January, and it'll be heard worldwide on wyomingisright.com. That's R-I-G-H-T.com. All the shows we have ever record broadcast have been recorded and uploaded to that website. So if you have Wi-Fi, you have access to it. You don't have to be in Wyoming, but if you are, if you're in Northeast Wyoming, we encourage you to tune in to hear the broadcast just as we air it for the very first time.
0: So this is pretty good because now you can you can actually edit around the commercial uh, uh, interruptions. I didn't realize it was going to be. I didn't realize it was a pre-record, which is actually the best. <laughs> When you're dealing with this, it's the best because if there's an issue that pops up at the last minute, you can get it corrected without losing precious airtime on this. And so, yeah, that's that's
2: that's actually great news. Usually Uh, the host is the one who needs the editing, not the interviewee. (laughs) I have time to get it fixed. You know,
0: I'm pretty sure that the people who produce this podcast for me probably agree with you on that. Uh, (laughs) All right, but. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, I want to talk to you about what happened in the House of Representatives this past week, because I think that there's two schools of thought here, which is that this was a meltdown, it's humiliation, it's terrible, it's uh, the end of the world as we know it, and the other uh, of which, and I have to say, I started out in, sort of in that camp, but I, after talking with my friend Adam Baldwin, I kind of migrated pretty quickly over to the other camp, which is that what we're seeing right now is legislating, negotiating, which is what the House of Representatives is supposed to be doing, and um, I mean, first off, what was your impression of that? And second off, what are you expecting to see now out of the House of Representatives?
2: Well, I had a similar view. I mean, I, I watched the whole thing from start to finish, and I got nervous and more nervous and more nervous. <laughs> and I'm a I'm a House Freedom Caucus supporter, and a lot of my friends, including Harriet Hageman, who we just elected and ousted this Cheney with, uh, is is a member. So like I was texting her on the House floor going, Harriet, if we let this go far too much further, the Dems are going to join with a moderate, a liberal Republican, and they're going to be speaker. They're going to elect that person speaker. We can't have that. And she said exactly what we have to fix or prevent. And um, I switched over and I said, "Okay, let's just let this play off, play out. And it is, it's it's a negotiation. If we get better rules, fine. As long as we don't go too extreme, because how can the speaker run 218 members or 216 members with it by committee? You can't. You've got to have a, a strong leader. And I'm hoping we still have that. That was my biggest concern. I think we will. I think they're going to give him some time to to get his feet on the ground and learn this role. It's not going to be easy, though. No, I, I don't think it's going to be easy.
0: But then again, if you got a five-seat majority or, you know, a five-seat, actually four-seat cushion, it's a nine-seat majority, but yeah, basically it's a four-seat cushion. It's tight. It's going to be tight. I mean, Nancy Pelosi had that problem. And she, you know, she did actually, you know, people say, well, Nancy Pelosi ran it. She was able to run it. Then Kevin McCarthy's incompetent. Yeah, Nancy Pelosi barely ran it. And she kept falling on her face because progressives kept holding the, you know, the infrastructure bill hostage and she kept putting the thing on the floor only to pull it back and etc i right. mean it just it was people forget i think what a um you know what a clown show that it kind of turned into for several months in the house and i suspect we're going to see a lot of that and i think people are going to make more of a, a big deal out of it than it actually is but honestly jeff i think that the main issue for house republicans in this session isn't going to be moving conservative legislation because. It's not going to get through the Senate anyway. It certainly wouldn't get Joe Biden's signature. I think the big issue is really oversight over the Biden administration, right? And a completely constitutional and legitimate function of both chambers of Congress is to provide oversight on the executive branch. And I kind of like what I what I've had to see so far about what they're going to be aiming at. You know, this whole idea of the uh, of having a select committee on the weaponization of law enforcement by the federal, um, you know, by the um, executive branch. I mean, I'm, I'm certain that that's probably music to your
2: ears as well as to mine. It is. I agree 100%. I think we've got to cut spending, and, and we got to talk about that. We also have to pull together as conservatives and lead the rest of the party. I think this is the opportunity, and I, I, I'm really counting on McCarthy being able to pull that off and Scalise and the rest of the leadership team. We have to defend Republicans from attacks. We have to go after the Biden administration for legitimate purposes and prosecute where they've broken the law, And that includes the president. I think he has. And we've got to find that case, find that out as actual is is the case or not and and follow up with it. But I also think we need to lead and we have to bring independents and moderate Democrats into the party. And this is the way to do that because we now have leadership in the House. And that we have to represent the party there uh, through legislation and do what they can accomplish. I know it's going to be tough with the Senate, but they have two years, and maybe we'll get the Senate back then. But they got to demonstrate the ability to govern today for two years, get the Senate back, and hopefully we'll get the White House back as well.
0: All right. One last question for Jeff Wallach. It's a trick question. So prepare yourself, Jeff. Here it comes. If Donald Trump chooses not to run in 2024, and he might, I mean, it's, you know, it's a long, it's a long process. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, Liz Cheney is going to get your endorsement, right?
2: Oh, not a chance. (laughs) I'm sorry I said hell on the line, but no, we, uh, I was honored to have the opportunity to be part of a selection committee to draft a candidate. And I actually called Harriet and asked her to run. I wasn't the only one, Right, probably... Thousands called her and contacted her, but we actually had that conversation, and she said she would consider it, and then when we when we heard that, we worked hard to get Trump to meet her, and that happened, and we all know that that ended up in an endorsement, but Liz Cheney has always been on our card to, to eliminate as soon as we could, and this was a time, it was a 40-point defeat against an incumbent. It's amazing. Incumbent.
0: So embarrassing for her. So embarrassing for her.
2: And three to one in money, at it was 15 million to five. It was yep. incredible. Just, just,
0: just goes to show you that voters can make a difference. They can make those choices. And it doesn't have to be about who spends the most money. It doesn't have to be about, you know, who's got the bigger name. It can really be about who represents your values and Wyoming made a very good call on that. And uh, Jeff Wallach is part of that. Jeff, give us the URL one more time for
2: the website for your uh, radio show. Thank you. Wyoming is right. R I G H T.com. Wyoming is right.com. All our shows are there. You can email me through there. Jeff at Wyoming is right.com. Let's start a conversation. There you go, Jeff Wallach. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll talk to you again
0: soon, sir. Thanks, Ed. Good to talk to you. Take care. Talk to you and stay tuned for one last message from the Ed Morrissey Show coming up next. Thanks for watching and listening to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. I just want to drop you a note to remind you that we are still going into 2024 with guns blazing, if you will, and with all sorts of momentum uh, going towards Republicans. Even after a disappointing midterm cycle, there is plenty of reason to be hopeful about what's coming up in 2024. There is also plenty of reason to worry about the impact that big tech And government agencies like DHS are going to have on the political debate, especially on big social media platforms. That's why it is still more important than ever to support uh, Hot Air and our other town hall properties by becoming a VIP or a VIP Gold member. Now, being a VIP member or VIP Gold member means that you can comment on the posts. And the comment sections are getting very lively, great comment sections. We're really getting a good commentary out there in the, in the com boxes, but you also get exclusive content such as Dwayne Patterson's twice weekly columns, Tom Jackson's twice weekly columns from Florida, which is going to be a key uh, battleground in 2024 and a key indicator, especially if Ron DeSantis does get into the race as we expect of where the Republican party is going to go. We've got, The Amiable Skeptics with Adam Baldwin and I, twice weekly, two episodes a week, uh, our video presentation exclusive for VIP members. Plus, we have the VIP Gold Chat with Cam Edwards of BearingArms.com. It's the most fun hour of the week. And I can tell you that both Cam and I will... Uh, every single time make that claim the most fun hour of the week and our VIP gold members get a chance to participate in it by putting in their comments and questions. And we respond directly to those. In fact, that's the entire reason for having that one hour chat on Wednesdays at one Eastern time. Uh, if you're a VIP or VIP gold member, you can, uh, you can be part of that and you can use the promo code, save America, save America and get a 25% discount off of VIP and VIP gold membership. So be sure to do that. Thanks for your time. Thanks for watching the Ed Morrissey Show.